witness, Pastor Luke has already said, uh, I got a very special we do um, uh, guest uh, here, uh, Pastor Wes Bentley, his wife Vicki is here, um, and you'll meet uh, Ed Gaunt out there at the table as well from Far Reaching Ministries. Wes uh, has been a dear friend of mine, um, just a tremendous blessing to me, just his integrity, uh, and, um, the ministry that he does all around the world. We're blessed to have him here because uh, they uh, just go all over the world um, doing different things. He's going to talk about uh, some of the things that they do. But for him to take time out and Vicki to come here is a very special treat for us. And so if you would give a warm welcome to Pastor West. So thank you. Well, guys, uh, usually when I come and I talk to our churches, I talk about the chaplaincy of the South Sudan Army. Uh, we have been training chaplains in South Sudan for the uh, last 23 years. I've actually been there for 26. Uh, and it's been the most war-torn country in Africa. But today we're not going to be talking about that. We'll be talking about Afghanistan. Uh, we, we're not a small organization. We're a very large organization. And we have a division of our ministry. We call it Ghost Operations. It's the invisible hand into the closed world of radical Islam. We're operating in nine of the ten most dangerous Islamic countries in the world. We have over 400 people in the underground. When Afghanistan collapsed overnight, guys, we had a tremendous problem on our hand. We had 22 people in the underground uh, with their extended families. Uh, over 200 people were in the underground in Afghanistan. Uh, I got a call from our Dutch office, and they said, Wes, with their extended families, they're all expecting to be killed for their faith. And so I went down to my staff and I said, guys, uh, we're going into wartime operations. And one week later, uh, five former Navy SEALs would fly in, uh, three Marines, all Special Forces, one Army Green Beret, and one brother with the CIA. And we planned operations into Afghanistan to do rescues. Uh, the, we sit in, I sent in two teams t simultaneously. Uh, the first one flew in a chopper. We landed at 12,000 feet. We deployed Marines and SEALs. I went with the second team. We were told we were going to climb uh, 2,000 feet, but we ended up having to climb to 11,000 500 feet, and then we launched our drones. And what we're looking for, guys, is a rat line. A rat line is an escape route of how to get people out of the country. Uh, one of the most difficult climbs, uh, was the most difficult climb I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, and all the Marines and SEALs said the same there. Uh, one of the problems with the mountain we were climbing, there really are no trails there. I actually asked the guys what the name of the mountain was. They go, we don't know, we don't name them, nobody's ever been here before. And uh, they have what they call an ibex. It's a very rare mountain goat. has these massive horns. And so you, about 5% of the mountain, you have what's called an ibex trail, which is about six inches. And then it's got shell and rock that slide into it. And if you miss a step, guys, you literally fall 1,000 feet and you die. And I was coming down the side of one mountain, and all of a sudden I began to hear uh, gravel sliding in. I didn't have time to think. And I re just reached back and I grabbed, and I caught our interpreter as he was going off the side of the mountain. Uh, when we got off the mountain, all of our toenails were black with the blood that was under them because of the difficulty of that climb up there. I actually lost two toenails on that mountain, and fortunately they grew back. Sometimes they don't grow back. We had one brother by the name of Rodney. Rodney was with the elite SEAL Team 6, 22 years with the SEALs, 12 years with SEAL Team 6, and 13 years with the CIA. And I was told that he lost uh, three toenails on the mountain. So that gives you an understanding how difficult the climb was there. But then God began to do miracles. We got a call from YWAM, a youth with a mission. They go, our country director is in a certain city. The Taliban knows he's there. 
they wrote a letter before the collapse of Afghanistan and they said, we're gonna butcher you, we're gonna slaughter you, there's absolutely no forgiveness for you. And uh, they called me and they said, Wes, the Taliban is going door to door, they will find him within two hours. And I said, guys, you should have called us a long time before this. Uh, but on my staff, I have Luke. Uh, Luke was uh, 14 years Marine Special Forces, 22 years with the FBI uh, counterintelligence. Uh, Luke speaks fluent Arabic, I believe in seven dialects. He tested genius level. Plus he's got a good grasp of four or five other languages. And I had Brunt, who was in uh, Second Force Recon, which is the elite of the Marine Corps Special Forces. And I said, guys, do we have any assets in this area? Fortunately, we were able to get a hold of one of them. And uh, an hour later, we showed up at the door. We got the kid. We got him out of there. An hour later, Taliban was at the door. Had we not got there, they would have killed this kid. And then uh, we got a call from Heather Mercer. Some of you might remember that name. Very famous missionary, was imprisoned by the Taliban back in 2000, was released when U.S. forces went in in 2001. And she called and said, I have 28 people in country. They're all believers. They will all be killed. Can you guys help me? Well, we sent an operational team, and we got those 28 out also. Uh, but the one that surprised me the most, we got a call from Shannon Spann. Mike Spann, her husband, was the first CIA officer killed in Afghanistan back in 2001. Uh, Mike had been in the Marine Corps. He was in Special Forces. Uh, he was recruited by the CIA. Shannon was also recruited by the CIA. They met at the farm, which is the training base for agents, and they fell in love, got married, had three kids. When U.S. invaded Afghanistan, they were with the Alpha Team, the first team to go in. And uh, Shannon, uh, when Afghanistan began to collapse, uh, Shannon, because of her contacts within the CIA, was getting a tremendous amount of people out of Afghanistan. But when the last U.S. aircraft left, they couldn't get anybody out of Afghanistan. And she's a very godly woman. One night she was walking around, she was praying, and she was going, Lord, I don't know what to do. And the Lord said, Shannon, why are you going to the world? Why are you not going to my people? She goes, God, I don't know your people. Well, the Lord gave her a name of a gentleman. I do not know him. And he said, Shannon, call for RHE ministry. So she called us, and uh, she said, I have 26 people in country. They are not believers. They all helped with the U.S. government. They will all be killed for their faith. I was not in the office. Brent took the call, and he called me, and he goes, Wes, what do you want to do about this? And I said, let's greenlight the operation, and we sent an operational team to get those 26 out also. And guys, uh, Shannon would fly out to Southern California to meet with me, and uh, she said that actually after she had heard about us, uh, she went to our website and read it. Guys, if you're not a Christian, and you don't understand, it's a little difficult to understand. It looks like we're some kind of military organization like Blackwater because we're involved in five different wars around the world. And uh, so she called this guy up and she said, who is West Bentley, who's Far Reaching Ministries, and who's Brent? And he said, Shannon, if my family were in Afghanistan, these are the two men I'd want to go and get them. Well, guys, God has brought her in, and she's an integral part of our team now. And, and one of the great things, we had the military experience between all the guys I had, and we had a lot of the intelligence we needed, but we didn't have the level that we needed. Well, Shannon really completed that, and she's been working with us. Uh, as of July, we have gotten over 1,000 people out of Afghanistan. One of the great problems is there's nobody left rescuing people in Afghanistan. Everybody, every government, every NGO that we know of, all humanitarian organizations have pulled out of Afghanistan. From what I understand, we are literally the only one there, and we have 3,500 more requests to get people out of Afghanistan. Uh, Shannon is uh, best friends with the New York Times best-selling author. I guess he wrote the movie, the book 12 Strong, and then it turned into the movie 12 Strong. And he called Shannon up, he said, Shannon, can you tell me what is in it for far-reaching ministries? She goes, nothing. 
He goes, no, come on, tell me what's in it. What are they getting out of this? Why are they doing it? She said, they're believers. They love Christ. They care about people. There's nothing in it for them. Now, you got to realize this guy is a non-believer. But he says to Shannon, he says, Shannon, I've been both watching secular and Christian organizations. He goes, everybody that's out there is advertising themselves. They're trying to get on the news. They're trying to raise support. They're trying to make a name for themselves, except for far-reaching ministries. They're a ghost. You don't hear anything about them. And then he says, you know, it's kind of like Jesus turning over the money changer tables. And guys, if that's all I get in eternity, it's enough for me to know that we've touched this one man's life for Christ. See, when we go to the mission field, we don't go to the mission field to make a name for ourselves. We don't go there to get fame. We go there because the love of God compels us to reach people in a lost world. And yet we're living in a world where this is happening everywhere. Every missionary, every pastor wants to write a book. And I'm not saying there isn't some value in it, because I can tell, I don't, I don't know how many missionaries I know that have self-published a book and between the ones they gave away to their family and they sold they have a distribution of about 75 you know and the reason is it's not a work of the Holy Spirit but when brother Andrew published his book it sold hundreds of millions of copies why it was a work of the Holy Spirit God was in it and I think that we really need to realize that when we choose to serve God the Bible said in the last days that People would see righteousness as a way of gain. It would be a way to make a profit for ourselves. It's not the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to do it for one reason only, and that's because we love the Christ. I've had over 20 people try to get me to write a book, and I've told them no. And if God ever tells me to, guys, I will write a book. But I tell people, I feel like we have the only book that we need right here. This is the hope for the world, not my testimony. And guys, um, one of my favorite people in the Word of God is the prophet Jeremiah. Oh, let me show this one other thing first. Uh, we had a, an American intelligence officer call us and he wanted to come out. He worked with American counterintelligence. He called me and said, Wes, can I fly out to California and meet you? And I said, sure. Well, he literally got on a plane that day and flew out to California the same day. I was shocked that he did it. And he came into my office and he goes, you don't know this, but everybody in the intel- intelligence community and in the American intelligence network is talking about you in your ministry. And I go, why in the world would you guys be talking about us? He goes, we're American intelligence, and we can't get anybody out of Afghanistan. You're a Christian organization, and you're getting all kinds of people out. What are you doing? So I opened up the Word of God, spent 45 minutes explaining to him what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and why we follow and trust him and we seek him for wisdom. And guys, when I was uh, back in Afghanistan in January, he sent me a message through Signal And he said, brother, he goes, and I noticed that he used the word brother. He said, when I first met you, I was a Catholic that had walked away from faith many years ago. But after meeting you and meeting your team and watching the way that you guys behave, I had surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And guys, he's working for us. He's actually a rock star. He's got safe houses all over Afghanistan. And we've been asked to rescue a lot of people. We have not lost one single person that was in one of our safe houses. Now, there were people in other safe houses that were captured and killed, but they were not under our care. But everyone that's under our care, we've not lost a single person yet, and I attribute that to the hand of God. Uh, As I was sharing, one of my favorite people in the Word of God is the prophet Jeremiah. And guys, the prophet Jeremiah is unique among prophets of the Lord. He's not only a prophet of the Lord, but he's a priest of the Lord. And what is unique about that, there are only three prophets in the Old Testament that were priests. It was Jeremiah, Zechariah, and Ezekiel. 
And the job of the priest is to bring people into close fellowship with their God. Well, we know for 40 to 50 years, Jeremiah preaches to the people of Israel, but they never repent. They never turn to their God. And I believe this is a message that God has for the church today. So what happened? God sends the Babylonian Empire. He crushes Israel and takes them off into captivity for 70 years. See, if you look at Jeremiah's life, you might think he had no fruit. But Jeremiah would have tremendous fruit. He would just never live to see it. Out of Jeremiah's life would come Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Out of his life would come the prophet Daniel. Out of his life would come the prophet Ezekiel. And see, when King Nebuchadnezzar built a golden altar and commanded the whole world to bow down to it, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had seen what happened when the people rejected Jeremiah's call to repentance. And they say to King Nebuchadnezzar, O King Nebuchadnezzar, our God has the ability to deliver us. But whether he delivers us or not, we will not bow down to your God. And they're thrown into the fiery furnace, God, and God delivers them. And an entire generation knows who the living God is. And it's said that Nebuchadnezzar feared the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Seventy years later, it will be Daniel's time. Once again, he's required to worship a false god. Daniel refuses. And so he's thrown into the lion's den. If you know anything about the Babylonians, they bred their lions for ferocity. They take the most fierce male lion, the most fierce female lion. They would breed them, and then they would keep them in a near state of starvation so that when you threw them into the cage, they would tear you to pieces. And yet God delivers them, and another generation knows who the living God is. But then it was also Ezekiel. And guys, I believe that Ezekiel has a very stern warning for the church today. He says that we're to go to the sinners, we're to tell them about their sin. If we do not go to the sinners and we do not care to tell them about their sin, God will require their blood on our head. One of the things that God did is he sacrificed his son that people could have salvation. But much of the church doesn't want to share that message because it's unpopular. And we're living in a time when evil is called good and good is called evil. You know, I have a lady on my staff, and uh, she works for a medical group, and she was telling me recently they have a case where there's a family that's trying to get their four-year-old a sex change. Now, guys, when do we not know that this is wrong? How do we not understand that a four-year-old cannot make this decision? This is absolute nonsense. They want to be seen as a hero of the movement. But, guys, I have a grandson. He's three years old. He wants to be a puppy. Should I put a tail on him? Should I put dog hormones in him? That's absolute nonsense. We had a situation where they brought in strippers into a kindergarten and had to put dollars in the G-strings and stuff. When do we not know what is wrong anymore? We're living in a time that it's absolute nonsense what is happening in this nation. They're destroying children. You know, guys, when you take a teenager and you give them a sex chain and you remove those breasts, they will never grow back again. And when they grow up and they sue us, and they should sue us, that young lady will never know what it like, feels like to be the way God created her. When you castrate a boy as a teenager, he will never have children again. You know, what's crazy about it is they're saying that 13 years old can make the decision for a sex change, but we can't hold a gun at 18 years old. We don't have the knowledge to do that. It's this double standard that's out there. And God tells us that we are to go to them and warn them. Now, guys, there is a great lie out there today in our government. And they say that the body of Christ or Christians are persecuting the gay, homosexual, transgender people. It's an absolute lie. First of all, 
Has there ever been someone that might have said something cruel? Of course. There's always some small cases of that. But the bottom line is the church just didn't care. They didn't share because they didn't care. They were supposed to care. We were supposed to warn them that if you practice this, you will not hear the kingdom of God like all other sins. And, you know, I've led 10 homosexual women to Christ in my life. And, guys, one of the things that I share with them, I said, I want you to hear me out. First of all, I don't hate you. I don't even know who you are. But God tells me that you cannot live this lifestyle in Romans and go to heaven. And you'll tell me I was born this way. Well, the problem with that argument is that the serial killer will say he was born this way. The pedophile will say he's born this way. The guy that wants to sleep with every girl he can will say he was born this way. Jesus Christ said, you must be born again. You must be born out of a life of sin into a life where you are saved. And guys, I joined the military, the Marines, when I was in the 10th grade. I lied about my age. And I was a competitive shooter. I was a very gifted shooter. Matter of fact, my coach said, Wes, you are so good with weapons, I think you could shoot the Olympics. I said, I don't want to shoot the Olympics. I just want to shoot other people. See, I had a killer attitude. You know, what saved me was Jesus Christ. And this is something that we need to understand. But we have an understanding of how Jeremiah uh, endured stuff, guys, because Jeremiah gives us a very clear message of what he went through. And one of the things that we are to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. In Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse uh, 15 or 16, it says, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers. I never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me. And guys, see, we're to be in the world, but we are not to be of the world. God has called us to be different as a church. And one of the things is there's just such great compromise in the church. The church doesn't want to behave. You know, Jeremiah went through a very hard life. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, it does not read well in the King James Version, but it reads very well in the NIV Version. Jeremiah says, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for man to direct his footsteps. And the Bible tells us that it says, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. When God called me to Africa, guys, I thought I was losing my life. I had no desire to go there. But it was in Africa I would find my life and the calling that God had for me. When we lose ourselves in Christ, we find our life. We find real joy in life. And there's times that Jeremiah would go through great hardship. And you might think God would say, you know what, Jeremiah? I know it's been tough, long road, a lot of persecution. But just hang on. There's a great reward coming. But that's not what he says to him. In Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5, God says, Jeremiah, if the foot soldiers have wearied you, how will you handle mounted horsemen? And the image that the Lord has given to Jeremiah is in the times of old when armies would go out to fight, first would come the foot soldiers. They would be in armor with swords, battle axes, shields. But then came the heavy cavalry, massive horses in armor, massive men in armor. And they would come charging at you, and these large spears would come straight down at you. And it must have been terrifying for people to say, see. And he's saying, Jeremiah, if the foot soldiers made you weak, how are you going to handle when the heavy cavalry comes? And God expects his men to be strong. When King David is dying, he's talking to his son Solomon. And guys, when you die, people are dying. I've seen many people die in my life. Being in a war zone is just a part of life. People always want to say what they need to say at that time. Often for men, 
they will say, tell my wife or my mother that I loved her. Tell her to forgive me. I was not the husband I should have been. They want to get things right. But what does David say to Solomon? He says, Solomon, be strong and therefore prove yourself to be a man. A part of being a man is we are supposed to be strong, and it's mostly spiritually. It does have some element of physical guys. But no matter how physically you strong you are, with age, guys, it's going to fade. It will go away. It just will. You know, it's funny. I was telling Jeff that in January of this year, I'm 65 years old, and I felt like I could do it all over again. I felt like I could get married, raise a family, get a job, have a career, do the whole thing. I felt that strong. But something happened to me in March, guys, and the doctors don't know what it is. But I have pain in my body all the time now. And I think God's just using it to train me. But it doesn't matter how physically strong you are, with age, it will pass. But the great thing about spiritual strength, with age, you can get stronger. You gain wisdom, you gain knowledge, and the Lord can use you in a very, very powerful way if you'll but listen to him. I really believe that uh, the Lord has called us as a church to care for those that cannot care for themselves. Edmund Burke said, all that it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. I would say all that it takes for evil to triumph is for God's people to do nothing. You know, guys, when God called, called me to this work, I never dreamed of what we would go through. We've had many of our staff killed in the war in Sudan, and you'll see that in a moment there. But God began to train me through very hard situations to deal with much harder situations. He really spoke to me through a little girl out of Afghanistan. There was a family that got out of Afghanistan. We did not get them out. But Wen asked me to go and visit this family. When we got there, it was a mother and her mother. The younger mother had two daughters. At the time of the incident, one was four, one was six. And then they had a little boy, baby boy. The younger mother's husband was tortured by the Taliban for three days, and then they killed him. Guys, I've seen a lot of killing in my life. And I've got a picture of what her husband looked like. I've never seen anybody so brutally tortured in all of my life. But see, the thing about it was, the guy who killed him was his own brother. He was a very high-ranking Taliban officer. After he kills his own brother, he rapes his brother's wife, and he rapes his brother's four-year-old daughter. Fortunately, the four-year-old doesn't seem to remember it, but the six-year-old was by far the most traumatized. And we're sitting at the table, and the mother's explaining to me that he's told them, if you do not come back, I will murder all 14 members of your family. He's connecting through family members to her, and they're saying, you've got to come back or he's going to kill us. When she said that, the six-year-old just begins to sob and to weep. She is terrified that what she knows what will happen. She knows that she will be next if she gets there. And I said to the mother, I said, Jesus said, come to me, all you burdened heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I said, now, first of all, you cannot put the safety of your adult family above that of these children. I said, that being said, if they're willing to leave, I'll send an operational team and we will get them out. And guys, we've already completed that task. But when the meal was over, this little girl came up and she put her arms around my waist and she just began to weep and she began to sob. And I leaned over and I kissed her on the head and I go, honey, do not worry. I will not let anybody harm you. And the Lord told me you are to take care of this child as though she were your own daughter. You are to raise her 
to make sure that she has a home, a place to live, food to eat, get them to a country where they can survive. And guys, I take it very seriously. When I was back in Afghanistan in January, this little girl was telling everybody, my grandfather is coming, my grandfather is coming. And guys, she's very special to me right now. I believe that one of the earmarks of being a believer is the Christian songs, and they'll know that we are Christians by our love. See, we're supposed to care. You are supposed to be bold for the gospel. Paul the Apostle said daily we pray for boldness. Guys, if you like boldness, pray. Pray for boldness that God would give you the courage to share. And you do have to be wise about it. I do not recommend sharing at work. I recommend you say, I'd be glad to share with you. Let's meet afterwards. And truthfully, I think people need to record it some days. We, I had a lady that I knew, and she had a homosexual come up to her and said, I would like to know about Jesus Christ. Would you share with me? She goes, I'd love to. They met, and she said, he goes, she goes, I don't hate you. I love you. God loves you. But the Bible says you can't practice this and go to heaven. Well, the next day he reported her as abusing him. He set her up to do it, and she got fired. So we do have to be careful. This is the day and age we're living in. Great wickedness is in this nation, you know. And as believers, we got to be careful about that. But you are supposed to share your faith. Paul also said, stir up the zeal that's within you. And what Paul is talking about is return to your first love. Now, guys, for many of us, we've had very different experiences in coming to Christ. For me, it was an extremely dramatic experience. When I got saved, my mother told me many years later that my brother, Rick, who followed me, he was also in the Marines, also Special Forces. Rick said, Mom, when Wes left to join the Marine Corps, he goes, I did not want him to ever come back again. He goes, he was the meanest man I have ever met in my life. When he would fight people, he would purposely injure them, and he was cruel with his words. And guys, truthfully, I grew up in some rough places, and I had to fight gangs. And so when I beat people up, I really was just trying to send a sign, which was, leave me alone. And it worked, but I was cruel. But he said, but after Wes came to Christ, he changed so much, I didn't want him to ever leave again. Two of my brothers had followed me to the mission field. They had their own organizations. But what I'm saying, guys, is the gospel is supposed to absolutely transform us. We are to be recognized by who we are in Christ. And this is one of the things that I really believe is that Paul's saying to us, return to your first love. Well, maybe you didn't have such a dramatic experience, but God wants you to have that experience. I know that when I became a believer, probably for four years, I woke up every day and I was so excited to be called a son of the king. You know, when I was in Afghanistan, I was very aware that I could lose my life, guys. But when Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of your faith, you can have great peace. You really can. I realize that we follow the God of angel armies, and he can be trusted. Guys, we're going to show you a video. The first part is about the Syrian church, and the second part will show you all the chaplains that we have lost in the war in southern Sudan. And then I'll take a, another 10 or so minutes to close this up. Let's go ahead and show that, guys. When the war start, many problems happened and it's so difficult to continue the ministry. 
And uh, we know some someday uh, the problems is come inside our homes, not just in our city or in our area. Uh, at that time, I speak to the leaders, and uh, we met together. And I said, as in Acts book, the believers when they have the persecuted, most of them they go out of Jerusalem. If you want now to go out of your area or out of Syria to save your families, this is good if God gave you this to do. But uh, we, we must to know maybe one day the problems come to our families and to our life. And maybe we will lose our life one day. You know, when I left the room and after time I turned back to see the decision of the leaders, I found 25 people, they stand there, and they said, we will not leave, we will continue to serve God here, in this area, and we will continue the ministry. If we are die, we will go to Jesus, and if we leave here, we will be with Jesus. And you know, but they asked me something to do. They said, if one of our team die, you know we are non-Christian background, and no one will take care about our body if we killed or something happened to us. Uh, what we can do if this happened? For that, we buy this land and we built a graveyard. This graveyard for if anyone killed from our team, we can put him there. This is the first building of our ministry. I think it's first uh, happened in Raqqa city in Syria. They give the chance for the uh, Christian. They said to him, if you leave your Christianity now, you can be, uh, hold your life, or if not, we will kill you. This, this decision is, you, you know, it's must to, to, to take it directly. And most of the uh, Christians said, no, we are ready to die for Jesus. And for that, they, uh, you, you can see many uh, pictures about the Christian. They put them in the cross. And when they put them, many times they put in the uh, area, all the people can see them. To learn the people, if you will be Christian, this is your what will happen to you. Uh, and uh, most of the people, I thank God for these uh, heroes in the faith. They die for Jesus and they put them in the cross. You remember when I told you about the stories about the man who uh, was his son and uh, they bring them and they ask them to leave uh, them faith in Jesus Christ. But the father said no and the son said no. And they asked the father, if you don't uh, come to Islam now, we will, we will kill your son in front of your, your eyes. And after that, they cut the head of the son and they start to play football in his head, front of his father's eyes. This is something incredible. You cannot understand what's happened. But through all this bad news, you can see the hope is growing between these uh, uh, difficult and uh, bad people. You know, Sometimes many people ask me why, why you continue in the ministry in Syria. 
especially in this time in the war. The important things for, uh, for our life to be in God willing. This is our call from God to, uh, to do the ministry in Syria. When we are inside the, the God willing, that means we are in the safe place. But if we are go out of God willing and go out of Syria, that means we are in the dangerous place. Maybe I, I can go like to Lebanon, to Jordan, to US, to, to anywhere and continue my life there. But that means I am go out of God willing. That means I am in dangerous. The important things in our life, not to be alive, but to be with Jesus willing. But if I am in, inside the dangerous, but in God willing, that means I am in the safe place. This is my belief and I trust in Jesus. He will keep my life and when he wants me to go to him, I am ready to do this. When I go, don't cry for me in my father's arms on me. The wounds this world left on my soul, I'll be healed and I'll be whole. Sun and moon will be replaced with the light of Jesus' face. And I will not be ashamed For my Savior knows my name It don't matter Where you bury me I'll be home and I'll be free It don't on my soul I'll be healed and I'll be whole sun and moon will be replaced with the light of Jesus face and I will not be ashamed for my Savior knows my name it don't matter where you bury me. I'll be home and I'll be free. It don't Jesus' face 
on July 20th, John Abill was shot and killed in the service of our Lord Jesus Christ, bringing it to 70 that we've lost. But guys, we are winning the war for the gospel in South Sudan. Tens of thousands of soldiers and hundreds of thousands of civilians have given their life to Christ. And I've led three of their commanding generals to the Lord. One of them will most likely be the next president. And his intention is to declare the Southern Sudan to be a Christian nation. Sacrifice is often worth it. When the Lord, when the war broke out in Ukraine, I struggled. You know, Lord, are we really to get involved in this? I mean, another war. We had 40 missionaries there, but the Lord told me to get involved. And guys, in the Ukraine right now, many of the elderly are committing suicide. They're killing themselves. Why? Their home was destroyed. They had a pension, but they can't even get it anymore. They don't know how to survive. So they're killing themselves. We're feeding 15,000 people a day in the Ukraine, have been for three months, and we're committed to the end of February or however long we need to. We're building 50 homes uh, for temporary homes for people who've lost their homes. And uh, we were setting up bread lines. Bread lines are literally a quarter of a mile long. People come in just to get one loaf of bread. And we were decided we needed to go to house to house because we knew there were elderly that couldn't get out. And we got to this one woman's house and she told us that she had planned to kill herself that day. She said that what had happened was that she had two daughters. The first was killed in our accidents five, six, seven years ago. I don't know exactly. But when Russia invaded, her other daughter was in her apartment where an artillery shell or a rocket hit it and it vaporized her daughter. And so she decided to kill herself. Well, we shared God's love with her and she surrendered her life to Christ. She goes, I know my daughters believe. I think I will see them again. See, compassion is a part of what we do as believers. We have a mother... Uh, and her daughter that were fleeing from the Russian army for two weeks. The mother was in her late 60s. The daughter was 40, but she was handicapped. She was only mentally probably six or seven years old. And they talked about how they had almost no food for two weeks. Both of them got shot, not severely. They put them in the hospital, took the bullet out, sewed them up, and told them they had to leave because they had too many severely wounded men coming in. Finally, we found them. We got them to Calvary Chapel. And the mother's talking about how when they heard their first bowl of soup, it's called borscht, and the, the handicapped daughter at that point goes, it was so wonderful. It's a cabbage soup. And we found out that the mother has two large tumors in her. She's got terminal cancer. No relatives. How do you think it'd feel if you had a daughter and no relatives and you're in the middle of a war zone? I told Luke to tell the mother, do not worry, I'll take care of her daughter. We'll find a Ukrainian family that loves Christ. If I have to build them a house, we'll build them a house. And I will pay them to care and love that girl the rest of their life. I want someone that has a heart that really wants to do it. Because I know if I were a father and I was dying and I had no one to take care of my children, it would be very hard for me. We bring comfort to the lost guys. And I really prayed, Lord, are we actually supposed to be in this war? We're in four other wars. And God spoke to me in Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 10. It says, if you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back their staggering towards slaughter. If you say that we know nothing about this, does not he who weigh the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done?
One of the things that you need to realize is that, yes, salvation is a free gift of God. But guys, the rewards of heaven are earned. The Bible says, in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. But it doesn't say they're all mansions. It says there's many mansions. I've often wondered how many one-bedroom flats or two-bedroom condos there are. And I really think it's strange to think that if we never serve Christ, we expect this great reward in eternity. As a church, God wants you to be active. He wants you to share your faith. Guys, churches today are giving up because they don't want to be unpopular. They want to go with the flow. They don't want to have any conflict in their life. They don't want their tithing affected. They want to be the popular pastor. Well, the problem with that, Revelation gives us a warning. It says, if you take away from the words of my book, I will take your name out of the book of life. See, we are responsible to share the truth in love. And we do it in love. We share because we care about people. If the Bible didn't teach it, I wouldn't teach it. But the Bible does teach it. The Lord gave me a dream. And guys, I've been walking with the Lord for 46 years. In 46 years of my life, I've only had three of the dreams that I felt were from Christ. This was the fourth one. I had flown to Amsterdam on March or April 4th, and I was meeting with our Dutch counterpart. We were doing operations in Ukraine and Afghanistan. So when I got there, uh, I had a dream the 6th of April. And guys, it was a very, very vivid dream. And in the dream, I was looking for a pastor, a Calvary pastor that had gone missing. His name is Billy Rutledge. Billy is very radical guy. He runs, he's the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Hatteras Island. Billy will go to any dangerous place in the world for the gospel. He's already been to the Ukraine, many times to the Sudan with me. Billy's actually dying of cancer. And uh, he's in so much pain that we pay to get him business class tickets. I said, Billy, if you're willing to fly 16 hours to go preach the gospel with as much pain as in your body, I'll get you a business class ticket. And we've been doing that for a couple of years. Billy can be a hard guy, but you can't help but love his devotion. And anyhow, I got to a certain city, and I was asking for him. They go, no, he's not here. But they said to me, but there's a sniper here, and he's killing a lot of people. And I said, well, I was a professional shooter. I'll take care of this guy. And in the dream, I did. And I kept looking for Billy and going from city to city, but they kept calling me when there was a, a sniper killing civilians, and I would deal with it. And finally, I got to one city, and they said, Billy's not here but there's a high rise here and there's a sniper up there and he's killing a lot of civilians, but we can't get to him. Every time we get close to the building, he kills us or whoever we send. And I said, don't worry about it, guys. I'll deal with this. And in the dream, I entered into the building with another sniper. It's funny because guys, in the dream, I knew exactly who he was, but God will not let me remember that in all these months. I cannot remember who I was with. And I told the guy, I said, listen, we're going to clear this floor by floor. I'll take the lead. But you got to watch, because if this guy is hiding and we miss him, I don't want him coming up behind us and shooting us. And I got up to about the 18th floor, and I rounded a corner, and there was carpet on the floor with sheet plastic, and it was moving. So I immediately raised my weapon to fire, because, guys, that's what snipers do. They, they fire from concealed positions. But the Lord told me, don't fire. So I approached slowly. I was still nervous about it. I had my gun trained, and I reached down, and I pulled back the carpet, and under it was four little boys between the age of three and five. 
It's funny, I, I get emotional about it, and yet it was a dream, but the Lord wanted to use it in my life. And I looked at the little boys, and I go, they were so afraid, and I go, where are your parents? They go, we don't know. And I go, do you little boys want to come home and live with me? Well, guys in the dream, all four of them got up, and they came and put their arms around my legs and waist and started hugging me. And I woke up, and I had tears running out of my eyes. I have never in my life woken up with tears in my eyes. My wife, Vicki, got up. It was 4.30 in the morning. She got up about 3.30 to study. And when she saw me, she was shocked. She came over. She goes, she's never seen me cry in my life. And she came over and goes, honey, what, what happened? You know, and... I mean, literally, the last time I cried, guys, was probably 40 years ago. I remember I went to an In-N-Out hamburger in California, and when I left, they had put an extra cheeseburger in the bag, and I still get a little emotional when I think about that. <laughs> but I said, Vicki, I, I told her the dream, and I said, I don't know what it means, but I feel like it has spiritual significance. I said, are those boys out there, and I'm supposed to go find them? I, I don't know what the Lord's telling me. Well, we realized we needed interpretation. And we spoke with two godly men, and God gave us the interpretation. And guys, truthfully, all over the Ukraine, parents left to go get firewood, water, food, and they didn't come back. And there's orphans everywhere. And God wants his church to care for them, to love them. I fly out the 24th back to the Ukraine and we're going to care for as many as we can you know guys the greatest privilege you will ever have in your life is when your life is given to the Lord Jesus Christ you will have joy and happiness you will not find it in the world but you will find it in Jesus I had a Hollywood producer that met with me and he was a big time producer he had done movies with a lot of the big stars and he wanted to make a movie about my life, and, and I told him no. He goes, Wes, I am giving you what everybody dreams of. I said, everybody who's carnal. The Bible says that no flesh shall glory in the presence of God, and I will not take God's glory. I said, I'm not the hero. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, this is the way we're supposed to behave. We're supposed to have a love for God that utterly drives who we are. This morning as you leave, guys, we're going to give you an opportunity. And first of all, I want to tell you, we are an extremely large organization. We're not small at all. In the year of COVID, Jeff and I have talked about this, almost every pastor thought, are we going to lose half of our support? People aren't working. They're not going to church. And yet we started getting calls from places all over the world. People were hungry. So we started feeding people in Pakistan, Afghanistan, Ukraine, Russia, I think we were feeding 4,000 people in Mexico for three months. And the year of COVID was the biggest financial year in the history of our ministry. God brought in $7.5 million. When Afghanistan happened, I said to the staff, I know we got to go. I have no clue of how we're going to pay for this. This is going to be millions of dollars. Last year, we brought in $12.5 million. This year, we're on course for $14 million. See, when you trust God, God provides for his children. When we come here and offer you something, guys, it's not that we might receive, but that you might store your treasures in heaven. We have three different sponsorships. And the first thing I want to say is do not take it out of your church tithing. 
if, if all you can do is afford to tithe, guys, you've done your part. Pray for us. Prayer is very important. But we have, we're gathering thousands of testimonies of Ukrainian grandmothers, grandfathers, and widows. And if you sponsor this, 100% of what you give us will go there. We will not keep a penny of it. And you will get an update. We'll send you your Ukrainian grandmother, grandfather within the next month or two. And we'll keep you updated every year what's happening with them. Then, and this kind of got born out of Russia. When I was in Russia, and Russia's been hard for me, guys, because Russia was my first love. It really was. I had a deep love for Russia. I prayed for it for 13 years before I went there. So when God called me to Africa, I felt like I was losing my heart and soul. We have built seven Calvary chapels there. We have a couple under construction right now. We're probably uh, supporting 15 to 20 pastors. And the Russian believers are doing everything they can. We have one pastor alone that's rescued 39 Ukrainian families, got them through Russia into the country of Georgia, and they are traumatized. Women's faces are swollen because they've been crying so much. They don't know where their husbands are. They don't know where their children are. They're terrified. And we're trying to be a comfort to them. But I would go to houses of believers and open their refrigerator and there'd be half a fish. They would tell me we can only afford to drink milk twice a year. Meat does not exist in our diet. We love off of potatoes and cabbage soup. So we wanted just to make it a small thing just to feed the believers. Well, now we got thousands in Ukraine. And we're going to take care of as many as we possibly can. If you sponsor one, it's $75 a month. Then we have our children of war, and we have them all across Africa. We have built two castles in Africa, guys. They're schools, but the castle is to protect them from Islamic terrorists. Al-Shabaab hit one school a few years ago and killed 150 kids. So I have armed, armed guards on the walls. We watch these children. They live there. They're fed there. They're clothed there. We take care of them. They're raised to fear of the Lord. But you can have an update on one of these two, and we'll also keep you updated. It's also 75. And then we have our ghost operations. We have 400 people in the underground. We have 300 people waiting to be sponsored. In Liberia alone, the Fulani believe that they brought Islam to Africa, and they're very violent. And they are killing all the Christians. And the Fulani, uh, they had one Fulani guy that actually got saved. Well, he went back to his people to share the gospel. And they said, either you come back to Islam or we'll kill you. Well, he refused. They skinned him alive. But because of that, over 100 Fulani came to Christ. And we're now training them to send them back. And we need 100 sponsors. There's 75 each. Now, guys, the only reason I'm telling this is because people ask me every single week, what if I want to do all three? Well, we're not asking you to. But we do understand there are people out there that God has blessed financially, they tithe, they give, and they have plenty of money left over, and they want to store treasures in heaven. Well, if you're one of those, it's 225. It is an automatic debit. It comes out on the third of each month. You have to fill out the form. Don't pick them up and walk away. I will not know if they're sponsored. That's the problem. There's too many of them out there. We're caring for too many people. In closing this morning, greatest bridge of my life has been to serve Jesus Christ. Jeff and his family are very dear to me and Vicki. His sister Jean and Vicki have been very close friends for a very long time. And his brother-in-law, Bob Davis, is really one of my closest friends. Bob Davis did something. He's from North Country Chapel in Idaho. 
The highest award we give in the American military for heroism is called the Congressional Medal of Honor. Often they're given posthumously, the person is killed. The highest award that we give in South Sudan is called the Knight's Cross for Christ's Knight. We've only awarded two of them. One of them was the village was attacked and 40 of our chaplains, one led by one man, they knew that all the women would be raped and all the children would be made child soldiers and he pursued them. And with 40 men, he hit an enemy unit of 300 and overran it and got all the women and children back. And then he hit another unit and another unit and another unit. He hit five units in one day, brought, I think he got over 300 prisoners. And the Islamic army thought that the entire South Sudan army had moved in. So they took a division of 15,000 people and they moved it out of the area. That deserves a Knight's Cross. The other one was his wife was captured by the enemy and he didn't know she was alive and held in captivity for three years and raped every day for three years. We estimate she was raped somewhere around 5,000 times. He went behind enemy lines. He found out his wife was alive. He watched for 12 or 13 days before he spotted her. Then he went in to where his wife was and he had to watch for several days men going in and out of the hut raping her. But he knew if he went and got her and got caught, it would never end. So finally he went in one night, four days later, he put his hand over her mouth because he knew she had screamed when she saw him. And when she opened her eyes, what he said translated was, be quiet, my love, I have come for you. And he goes, this is the time to run. This is not the time to embrace. But they embraced and they ran 20 hours the first night. It was about five days of this before they got to safety. When Moses told me about this, he told the story as though he was just giving me a report on the daily news, like it was of no big deal. Moses was also, has received, he was the first chaplain to ever receive the Knight's Cross. Well, Bob Davis did something I've never seen in all the years of ministry. He invested a tremendous amount of money, and I'm not gonna share the amount because I know Bob doesn't want me to. But through that one church, over 300 lives have been saved in Afghanistan. Women will not be raped, tortured, murdered, sold into sexual slavery. You know, the girls they sell the most are the nine and 10 year olds. Those are what those perverts want. So our staff talked about it and Bob Davis is gonna be the first non-chaplain and probably the only one who will ever receive the Knight's Cross. He has been a knight for Christ. Don't miss what God has created you for. Guys, I wanna be very clear on this. Me being a soldier does not make me more spiritual. What makes a person spiritual is doing what God has gifted you to. I went to Horizon School of Evangelism in 1984 down in San Diego, Mike McIntosh's church. In one midweek service, Mike came out and said, hey, one of the ladies did not show up for childcare, can we get a volunteer? I wasn't gonna volunteer, there were hundreds of women in that room. Not one single woman raised their hand. They knew something I didn't. So, using a great lack of discernment, I raised my hand. I got the four-year-olds. I would rather be back in Sudan being shot at than go through that again. <laughs> it is not my calling. But see, guys, I knew from the time I was six I was gonna be a soldier. This is just what I'm called to do. There's nothing special about me. I'm just an ordinary guy 
doing what God gifted him to do. May God richly bless you. God bless you. You guys will stand, please. I want to pray with Wes before he goes. Make sure that as the Lord leads to stop at the table, Vicki will be there and Ed Gaunt. And um, I don't know when I'll see Wes again. Um, um, I hope I see you soon. But Amen. I also know when he goes that uh, there's a real possibility I may not see him until we get to heaven. Um, so we're going to pray for him. So, Father, I just pray for this man. It, it's overwhelming to us as we hear the stories. Um, but, Lord, I thank you for his ministry, for Vicki, for the staff at Far Region Ministry, what they've meant to me and my family. And, Lord, as he goes, uh, we pray for your grace and peace to go with him. And, Lord, for your strength. And we just pray for your hedge of protection. Keep him under the shadow of your wings. And Lord, I pray for far-reaching ministry that they continue to share the gospel with the lost, with those in danger. And Lord, that you continue to use them in a mighty way. So Lord, we thank you for this day and this time that we've had that the privilege to be with Wes and Vicki. And I just pray for your grace and love to be upon them in every way as they leave and, and continue what you've called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen.